We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. episode 360 of the Win and Six podcast, part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always, it's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Jordan, hello. Hello. How are you doing? Doing well. How about you? Uh, great. I, I, I love how we've settled into just uh, every podcast starts with you going, I'm doing well. The exact same. <laughs> You know, rhythm to how you say it, you know, enunciation in the same places, emphasis, it's just identical. So it's great that we've managed to get that down. It's as much a part of the opening as my my introductory patter at this point. If there's one thing that people know about me, it's consistency. (laughs) Right? You are definitely a man of routine. That is true. As a a man of routine myself, I, I don't have any issues with that. Let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. That's what people are here for, right? We're gonna we're gonna kind of take a whistle stop tour through various books talking points. We've got some mailbag questions from all you lovely listeners for for the end of the the episode. Where do you want to start, Jordan? Do you want to start with the uh, the new player who's playing games? Do you want to start with the the new player who has yet to play games? What do you want to What do you want to do? Should we wrap a bow on, or not wrap a bow, but circle I'll, back to Serge I'll wrap a bow. I'll, I'll wrap a bow on Serge Ibaka. Let's do it. Yeah, so Serge Ibaka, last time you heard from Jordan and I, we were on our uh, live show on YouTube, which also then featured on the podcast feed, the crossover with Ty and Rohan. 
And yeah, we were very pleased. The Bucks pulled off a, a deal to get Serge Ibaka to fill what was maybe their most obvious gap in the rotation. And he's come right in. Um, I wasn't expecting that when they traded for him that he would have to start his first game. But with Giannis out against the Blazers, he came straight into the front court alongside Bobby. He was back to what will be something much more like his role throughout the rest of the season, I would think, um, in the Bucks' most recent game, which was their win over the Indiana Pacers, where he came off the bench. So 24 minutes off the bench against the Pacers, nine points on three, three shooting, five rebounds. Um, and in the Portland game, 31 minutes, six points on three of six from the field, seven rebounds, a steal and a block. I don't have any kind of overwhelming takes on Surge yet, and I honestly don't know if I'm going to over the point of the season. He just looks like what what he is and what they needed, which is like a proven, tested, still very capable big body who's going to come in and just give them some kind of depth minutes. Yeah. I, I don't think there's much to add there just because I think we're, first of all, we're on the same page that like, if they're, if Serge Ibaka stands out, it, it's not like for like this, you know, crazy scoring night, certainly not a 50 piece. Um, and if he stands out, it wouldn't be, it, we'd probably be talking about, Oh, he looks a step slow defensively or he can't, you know, garden space as well as he did you know, previously back day back to this time with the Thunder, you know, so many years ago. So, yeah, I think it's more like you're just kind of, I think even John Horst and his post-trade deadline kind of press conference said it and stuff like it was. The man talks. About, the man talks. Who, yes, who knew? Uh, <laughs> um, he talked about like roster balance and I, that's kind of what we kept coming back to in the moment of them making that deal and trading Dante and, you know, pre-pad injury, but, you know, now they have at least covered that for now. Um, Yeah, I I just, this is kind of where he's going to be. And when Brooke comes back and depending on when that date is, I don't think you'll have to adjust for much just because they, he's going to be a big part or pun intended, of their big rotation um, and give them the ability to play more drop and, you know, things that they have veered from this year in part because of Brick being out. Yeah, and I mean, I think one of, the, one of the only things I would know from his first couple of games is you kind of get a reminder, too, of how skilled Ibaka is, which does make him different to not like there were a whole lot of alternatives out here for a, like a quality big, but he will give you some of that defensively and with size and rim protection, but he's also just got really nice touch and good skill around the rim. I think the very, his opening uh, offensive play for the books was a scripted play against the Blazers, which finished with kind of a nice hooked finish, which just again, not a lot of guys that they could have gone and got who can do that. Like if he is called upon, if injuries are a factor and, whatever way things shake out from here, he's someone you could trust to give quality minutes, but also he does still have a bit about his game. He's never going to be anything close to a focal point, but he's a very talented player and has been throughout his NBA career. So 
in terms of what you can get and what you often end up getting around this time of year when you're trying to fill gaps in your rotation, I, I think the feeling to me is still that this is a real positive because this is this is a legitimately good player who does have the potential to help this team in the playoffs. And we even know from years past that is not a given. You know, even when you get a player and they look kind of, yeah, okay, the idea of that works in theory, it doesn't necessarily always translate that way. I do have quite a lot of confidence, though, that Surge can give the books what they need from him. Whether they end up needing more than he can give them is maybe a different question. But I think what they would have had in mind in signing what they would have wanted to see from him, I, I think he'll be able to deliver on that. And that's really what's most important. I do actually have one other point that I thought of in between podcasts and all that stuff and before Surge played for the Bucks. But I know there's been a lot of like questions about his back and all that stuff, especially when you know we were going through the same exact thing. It's like car like carbon copy of how um Surge eventually went went to surgery and all this stuff and how <clears throat> the Bucks did the same thing with Brooke before he had a um did his surgery and to fix it, what was it, a bulging disc, right? That's what it was? Mm-hmm. We finally know what it is. <laughs> um, Straight from the horse's mouth. Exactly. Um, but I do think, again, this move, whether they, you know, I do agree, or I do see why they thought of Abaka as a top trade target for them and considering where they were financially and all that stuff. But I also think, like, the medical stuff that they have in Milwaukee is top notch. How many times have we seen them be recognized for all the work that they've done with Giannis in particular, but just to talk about like how they have really valued, you know, their development and program with their medical staff and all that stuff. And that's where like, I think not that, that I was like, had any questions about his back and just, you know, all that stuff. I do think that they are playing from a point of strength in that regard. That they, if whatever point of strength and conditioning, saw, maybe. Okay. Exactly. Yes. That is exactly what I'm talking about. That they could do that. I mean, look at what they did with PJ Tucker last year. We had all these questions about his calf strain, his just his overall durability, just because he looked really rough with the Rockets. Granted, their whole situation, you know, was what it was, but like, I don't think it's that dissimilar with surge. It's just a different part of the body than, you know, a calf strain or whatever, whatever else was bothering Tucker at the time. Sure. And I mean, to that point more generally, like the books have had injuries. Everyone has injuries. I'm going to listen. I'm going to knock on wood here. Cause I don't want to be accused of like being a jinx anymore than I maybe, you know, last week for those who listened to the, the crossover episode or watch live on YouTube I did say, you know, as long as, you know, Pat Connaughton doesn't get injured, which would be a disaster, and Pat proceeded to get injured that night. So that wasn't ideal. Um, but again, don't know if you all hear that. That was a knock <laughs> on wood. Um, it, muscle, ligament injuries, those kind of things have been way down for bo- the books in recent years compared to, say, back in the early kid era. Um, where, when it was a recurring problem. And obviously the books had some players that had multiple issues in that regard. Anything that's come along, a lot of it, it has tended to be more impact related. It's been a lot clearer to see. 
Brooke is maybe the exception of that, but then that is still kind of a structural injury on a guy who's like 7'2 and has played professional basketball for close to 15 years, um, 13 years anyway. Like that's that's the kind of thing that's just going to come along. But I, I think to your point, yeah, the books have been very good generally at uh, injury prevention, much better than sharing details of injuries when they happen. So hopefully we can we could see that pay off with Serge and just generally across the roster over the, the remainder of the season. The good news is for anyone to blame you, but Pat, he's only here for four weeks. It, is worth, it is worth mentioning here. I mean, that's that's, that's not the end of the world at all. And we'd all start coming in between it. You're yes. also getting some time kind of bought from that too. Yeah. That's, that's where I kind of looked at it. Initially, I was like, oh, it's four weeks. Wait, they're off for eight days. Um, over the all-star break because they don't come back until Saturday uh, next Saturday against Brooklyn. So yeah, like that's, I mean, it sucks obviously, but I mean that we'll see how that transitions into the new player. Well, thank you very much for that, Jordan. Cause that's what I was about to say. <laughs> As I said, we, we could seamlessly. ultimately very seamless. What we could ultimately <laughs> end up saying though, too, is like if Pat is back, four weeks and he's just the same as he's been all season which has been pretty fantastic this may have created an opportunity where the books had the they had the opening and they had the playing time to be able to go and pitch to DeAndre Bembry and say look if you come here you're going to get to play like it remains to be seen how true that would be in the playoffs and I'm sure he's he's aware of that too but what he does have is like a month-long window opportunity to go and show you're good and stake your place. And if he stakes his place, he's going to be in the rotation. Like that's not in place of Pat, but I, I certainly think with the way the book shape up and with some of the tools he has, there is a there is a spot for him if he shows he can he can do it and he's going to get a great opportunity. So I don't know. I haven't seen a whole lot on other teams who were maybe in the mix for Bembry. Um, I know we all hoped from the moment that it was announced that the Nets had waived him, which was still a little puzzling that he was the guy they chose to get rid of. That happened on the live stream, right, too, right? Yeah. That or was... just just after, maybe, just after we finished. Oh, that could have been it, yeah. Um, but that's, like, if, fine. If the Nets want to give away uh, a weird player, honestly, first and foremost, my kind of player, your kind of yes. player, Jordan, he is very funky for people who aren't particularly familiar with DeAndre Bembry. He can handle the ball little. He can pass. He's a multi-positional defender. He's got solid size, but I would say plays a little bit bigger than a 6'5". Um, like, we're not talking about a P.J. Tucker-level defender, but in terms of physical profile, there are some similarities. And in Bembry's case, he can do a little bit more on ball with the ball. He's had some bursts through his career where he scored pretty well. Shooting has been a real weak spot from Trout's career, but of course, this season in the year where the Nets decided to get rid of him, um, he's shooting 41.7%, not on high volume, but if that was to hold up and he was to continue making some open looks, that would be a big bonus. But I, I think all around, this is this is a, a good move. And one that, let's say the shot doesn't hold up, I still think Bembry fits a profile that is quite similar to what Pat has been for most of his time in Milwaukee, which is Pat wasn't generally an absolute dead eye shooter, but he was just 
you know, capable enough to do a bit of passing, a bit of rebounding. He'd score some points here or there. He could cover, you know, two or three different guys on the floor at any time. And I, I think you're going to get a lot of that here with DeAndre Bembry too. He's a, a player that I think if he does kind of hit the ground running and take this opportunity, he'll become a real fan favorite very quickly and could be something of a glue guy for this team. I, I think this is a really nice fit in terms of play style, in terms of character. And honestly, based on where we were like a week ago, what day are we today? Uh, not even a week ago. So like if you had said to me going into the deadline that a week removed, the books would have got rid of the players that got rid of, and they would now have Serge Ibaka and DeAndre Bembry and potential for more. I would have been really, really happy and really, really impressed by that. That's, that's some very good business that makes an already very strong roster all the more formidable in my mind. Agreed. I am very... It's funny, I wrote about this on our GSPN Substack. Um, I haven't even got to read it yet. It posted just before we started. It did, yes, exactly. Uh, but Trying to blindside me. He's, I think what's interesting about this is that he is like, you look at, oh, he's a bad shooter. Oh, like, I mean, the fact that he's, it's not even just he's a bad shooter, but he just doesn't shoot from three. That's more of where the, not problem, but it's been negated um, in that sense, is that he doesn't fit the kind of traditional like wing type that the Bucks have really valued. I mean, their biggest move, like, or not free agency wise, but they, they trade away draft capital to get Grayson Allen, who they thought would, you know, fill that kind of dead eye shooter type role within their system and all that stuff. So they really valued off-ball shooting around Giannis, around Chris, around Drew, and all that stuff from the wing position. And you've had strides with Pat and all that stuff, blah, 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 blah. So bringing in a guy like Benbury, who, like, <laughs> the best he's shooting, for, like, from three is, like, from the corners. And he's just kind of this weird, funky player who plays really well defensively. He's, he, as you said, he plays bigger than his size but can kind of fill in gaps in just ways that they really missed this year. Like, I know, like, we talked about Wes a lot and how once they brought him in, it's like, oh, that, like, makes sense, like, why they wanted him. And if he's hitting threes, that's great. And obviously it makes him look like he's, you know, seamlessly fitting in and all that stuff. But they just still need kind of that innings eater def- defender that can just kind of stop up, you know, going against the DeRozans, the KDs, all that stuff. I didn't, I didn't mean to lead up with DeRozan with, like, leading scorer, but that just came to mind quickly. Um, but I do think for me that what's interesting is that he kind of brings the, like, he still manages to make an impact off the ball. He's really good at cutting, which is really key for, like, I mean, they want to play random. And if they want to have, you know, the system – the ball kind of move around, fizz around the way that they do and not just have it, you know, stick occasionally. I think adding a guy like that who knows how to kind of find space when it doesn't look like there's going to be space on the floor or can recognize, oh, a double team is going to Giannis. Here I could just slink off on the baseline and put it down that way. Like there's definitely a utility with him offensively and defensively that 
is really interesting. And I think he's coming in at a perfect time because there is such a, there is a big layoff coming in. So you kind of integrate with the Bucks better that way, rather than if you're bringing a guy that can't shoot threes and plays the way that Bembry does, if there, if it was like in the heat of the season where, you know, it's two weeks from now and they, they're like really ramping up to try to improve their seeding or whatever the case may be. I think that would be a tougher sell and I wouldn't be as optimistic as I would be now because I, I do think you kind of just need some, you know, institutional knowledge of how you're, what you're, how you're going to be expected to play and where you're going to be expected to play on the floor and all that stuff. And I mean, additionally, this is a player with, um, significant familiarity with coach bud with darvin ham this is we came yep. into the league with the hawks under um i was trying to think back and even do some digging i i can't for example remember anything quite as uh divisive or explosive in terms of his dynamics with bud as there was with say dennis schroeder um i i think just as a character, a very different guy in that regard. And I, I think things worked well there. And what Bud and Darvin Ham are doing with the books now is very different to what they did with the Hawks. But there are wrinkles that, you know, remain and there'll be some shorthand that hopefully they'll be able to share. So I wonder if maybe that could be a factor in us seeing him get up to speed with all things books a little bit quicker. There'll be terminology, there'll be ways that they do things that are not going to feel completely foreign to him. Um, and that's that's going to be a, a real kind of advantage. I do just think you're right. He's not the kind of player the books have generally gone for a lot in recent years. Um, maybe the closest that I can think of, and I, I think he's better than this player, but is Tory Craig. Oh, 100%. I, I definitely see more Craig and I think Eric name kind of threw in like some Dante similarities, which there are. Don't get me wrong there. But I do see a, more... a cross between those two would be pretty much it, though, because a body type that is very similar to Tory Craig, uh, but some of the secondary or tertiary ball handling, say, that, that Dante had. And that would again go back to that was something that Bud and Darvin Ham were really stressing early in his career, where they kind of envisioned him as a point forward. I don't think that necessarily kind of panned out. But he did have a couple of years with the Hawks where a lot of his run was coming with when he's on the floor, they were very comfortable giving him the ball and being able to work with it. Maybe that is still just how Bud sees him and how Tarf and Ham see him. And so as a coaching staff, they could sit down and we could see some of that. Right now, with how the second unit looks at this current moment in time, that might be actually welcome for the next for the next Bud, particularly Honestly. if they don't find a capable guard. Um, they may need to kind of turn to him and give him some responsibility like that, even if that's not going to be what he's doing in the playoffs. But yeah, a, an interesting player that I, I think could have real value. I'm curious to see how he hits the ground running. Uh, of course, his social media handles are Fear to Fro. I don't know if you know it's Fear to Fro 95. So Fear to Deer now with Fear to Fro. There we go. Do you, are you also aware of, you know, I know we love name and nickname details, there's a there's a little kind of peculiarity, an interesting detail in DeAndre Bembry's official listing of his name with the NBA. You aware of this? Is? What? I don't. I don't think I know this actually. So his name is DeAndre apostrophe Bembry. Yeah, that, 
that's his official designation, which I, I don't know if there's another player currently in the NBA that you would um, put an apostrophe at the end of their first name. But that's the case for DeAndre Bembry, just so everyone knows. Uh, let's get it right. Let me see those apostrophes in action. Also, his... I don't think it ends there, because I just looked on basketball reference. He There's also that. an apostrophe on Pierre in his Pierre. middle name. Yep. So, Bembry family, they love apostrophes. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. That's your useless, um, very much <laughs> win and six tidbit on DeAndre Bembry. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so Serge Ibaka's in, DeAndre Bambry's in. Per Moose, I feel like, is going to be out. Um, is that tomorrow, the day after, maybe? Uh, his his uh it's done it's done his 10 days up yeah it was up yesterday i believe oh that makes sense because yeah i didn't see him play last night so yeah. that would certainly add up and he certainly would have <laughs> <laughs> yeah the last night was interesting um okay well where did they go now i mean the the reporting is very very adamant it's suggesting kind of relentlessly that the now bought out Goran Dragic are close to buy out. I think fine was it was it actually finalized yesterday? He it'll be final. Well, it'll be made official tomorrow. Right? Or is that no? It's done. 
and he would be hit waivers. He'll, he'll clear. He'll clear by tomorrow, possibly. Yeah. Um, well, the books are being linked with Goran Dragic, which, like, honestly, just on the surface level, I was like, that's great news. And we're not here to dispute that. I just want to, I want to clear out and give you a minute, Jordan, because you're, you're just, you're suspicious of this. I don't know. Is this just, you feel like it's very different to how the books normally do business. Um, But all of the, all signs pointing to the books being right towards the top of the queue for Goran Dragic is something that it's kind of, it's setting alarm bells off in the Tresky household. I am just, it's a little skeptical. It's but where I'm coming from is more of the the Bucks have done a very good job of insulating their um, links and interests. It's not a lot of when we hear interest of players that they are targeting, whether it's free agency trades or buyouts. It's not from. It's often from national or for like it's linking other beat reporters to that, like, to the, like how the Celtics were. There's all this interest of Schroeder, Grant Williams, all this stuff. And I'm sure some of it was valid, but we're hearing it from Boston's angle, not Wonky's angle. This also does historically, um, when there have, like, the books under Horst have been, it maybe is the most Spursy, as much as they hold up Spurs values. No yes. leaks is maybe the thing that they're closest to the Spurs on, except for the very infamous occasion where there was a leak. Yep. Um, certainly up for debate. And I know we talked about it on the pod quite a bit at the time where that leak came from. But I do think over the fullness of time, looking at how the books do business and where a lot of the angles come from, it, it is increasingly safe to assume that was an outside party. And we had a good guess at the time that, you know, Mr. Bogdanovich's agent certainly had a history with some some weird leaks, kind of scuttling deals around that time too. Um, but from a book's perspective, I think you're right. I I just, I'm worried, Jordan, that you're falling into the trap of uh, causation equals correlation here. That's true. Because be. I do, I just think this one is I so obvious think... that the books will be there. Now, whether, whether someone else has a better role for them, I, I don't know if they will. Like, Brooklyn? No, not either, because they have Patty Mills. I think he has real reason. They, George, George they Hill's out, so... For home games. <laughs> That's true. I mean, there's... If they... If the standings are shaping up like that they could play the Raptors in the first round, which they're not right now at all, that would be a tough one to make work standings-wise. Yeah. They could play him in a play-in, though. Um yeah, well, Goran Dragic would have the possibility of being like, "Hey, I could have a whole, I could have a whole series here where I'm the starting point guard, or I'm at least the the backup of Patty Mills is the guy." I mean, with the books, much like Bembry, uh, George Hill being out at the moment and probably still being a couple of weeks or so away, again based on what John Horst actually said, uh, which is great. The some of this occasionally would be very welcome, but he said some stuff, and then we've got clarity. Everyone can calm down for a while. It's funny how it works out like that. Um, also, Pat just being announced, them officially being like four weeks. Great. Is it a sign of progress? Is it a? Did it slip through the net? Did someone forget to delete it from the press release, Jordan? I don't know, but very valuable. 
anyway, there is something similar to the the kind of patch eight hole in the rotation that maybe appealed to DeAndre Bembry as coming in and having a chance. It's like if Goran Dragic wants to sign the next few days, well, he's gonna get a couple of weeks probably as a as the backup. Yeah. And honestly, I'd say he would like his chances in competing with George Hill. And even if he doesn't if he doesn't view it as kind of singularly as that, which I would say is a good idea, particularly with how the books have used Hill as a two guard a lot, there would be potential for both of those guys to see the four together in the playoffs too. Um, so I, I don't think there's any path, particularly with Dante gone, like they, they may look to Hill in some spots defensively as a two. I, I don't think there's any path blocked where Dragic could be like, oh, I go there, I'm not going to play. And maybe, like, I mean, he got to get some up-close looks at the books in recent years for, for better and certainly for worse last year. I don't know if there's a better chance for him to win a ring and actually play a real role. So I, I wonder, does that play into their hands? Um, it would be very, very nice. I know books fans have some feelings about Dragic from over the years. I mean, the simplest thing I'd say about that is better to have him on your team than against you you know yeah. if you don't want him like injuring chris middleton or something in a final series maybe have him on your team um but still a very capable player and someone who again like from a book's perspective we have seen go off with his shooting at times in postseason series good playmaker can still get to the rim and finish a little too like just a crafty crafty player with a lot of skill that if he was added to the mix it's a big win. Like we'd be reaching the point where there would really be no roster in the NBA that could compete with the books for just quality and depth, which is an interesting development. I think coming out of the trade deadline too, like the nets obviously moving away from their ultra star powered. If like little actually top usable yeah, top heaviness, but I mean, there was also quality depth beyond that. Injuries have factored into them being able to actually use that, but they certainly had like eight to nine guys who were very good. Some other gambles didn't work out, much like in a book sense. I guess someone like Paul Millsap couldn't be what they want to be. He's now Philly. But I, I think you got Goran Dragic into the mix, and the books are certainly as well set up as it could possibly be to go and defend their title. Nothing else, Jordan? That's I, I mean, we're still be, skeptical. You're just sitting there. We're gonna be watching. We'll be watching. It, it sounds like he's gonna be the top. I think Woj said it himself um at some point that he said Dragic is gonna be the top buyout target for this market. So I mean they miss out on him and they I do could see that they probably will get a point guard or a ball handler, even with Bembry and um, coming into the fold here, but we'll see. We'll see if who else emerges because it's it's not like Ga- it's... Gary Harris is not getting bought out, right? No. So no. there's not a lot no. here. There's Schroeder if he agrees to show up and pass a physical so he can then be bought out, which I don't believe that is resolved at our time of recording. And then... I don't know. I mean, I'm seeing a wave of uh, Liddell Wigginton enthusiasm from Bucks fans recently. Uh, 
good for all of you. That's all I'll say. Good for all of you. But um, not an answer for anything at all. Nice story. Good for him. Good for all of you. Let's talk All-Star, Jordan. <laughs> Last time we recorded a true episode of Win at Six, um, you, you were... I was knocked back by how confident you were because this is not something that happens with your predictions very often where you're just like, yep, lock it in. And then I did make a case to you why you were likely going to be wrong, which you heard, you thought about, and... You didn't backtrack, but you certainly went, yeah, okay, I didn't think about that. <laughs> and you believed that Drew Holiday was going to be an all-star. Yeah. Drew Holiday was not named as an all-star reserve. There have now been three opportunities for him to be four? Three. Because he had the reserves. Katie's no, replacement. I, I mean replacements. So there was replacement Harden. Harden. Is there someone else? Draymond. Draymond? Yeah. Why would he come from the West? It doesn't work like that. I thought it does. No, I don't think it does. I think it comes from the East. That's why... No, I I honestly... Maybe I'm wrong. I'm trying to think. Who was... So we've got Lamel Ball, Jared Allen. Who's the third player? Were they from the West? Yeah. Who was it? I am forgetting right now. Draymond Green All Star replacements. I actually thought that wasn't. Oh, uh, Dejounte Murray. So yeah, came for the West. Okay, it was fair enough. I take it back. I take it back. I was wrong. <laughs> so two two possibilities really for him since the replacements were are the since the coaches made their picks for reserves. It hasn't happened. Now on the other side of the coin. Chris Middleton was named an all-star. I mean, I guess this is a cause for celebration. A book is an all-star. Of course, we love Chris. That's great. Um, I I was just completely underwhelmed by that. I don't think he's a deserving at all this year. And I think it just points to the larger issues here. Chris is not an all-star this year. Drew 100% should be. But it seems like Chris has reached a point now where you know what? He might be in legacy pick territory. It's like if he could just be, you know, good enough every year and the books can remain good enough, he could find himself like seven time all star Joe Johnson territory. You know? I was going to make that joke, but I didn't. I know. <laughs> I didn't want to. I, I, I think that has to factor into it. The people now are just at the point where, like, yeah, he's that good and he's part of why the books are that good. I just, it's so strange when you hear players and coaches like just rave about everything Drew does. And also just in the last year, I feel there's never been a brighter spotlight on his game. And it was, here we are. And still he's not making the cut. I just think it's really wrong. He, he was clearly deserving of being in the top 13 guys to begin with. So the fact that we've now gone through two rounds of Eastern Conference replacements, he's still not there. And his teammate is who, uh, to me, Drew is just being considerably better than this season. I, am I, am I being too harsh on that, or am I going too far on that one? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Do you think, do you think Chris was deserving? Like to me, this just was not a tree all star team. Is this? I think I think what we came into 
when we talked about this, what, two weeks ago? We can have to go, whatever it was. Um, is this a matter of position when, you know, Darius Garland, LaMelo Ball, more so because of the It is, but is this just not a prime example of how stupid that is now? Like, is this just not make a farce of it for people who are really paying attention? Like, I, I'm not going to be watching the All-Star game being like, booing Chris on my TV, you know? Yeah. But I don't think he deserves to be there. Like, um, we can be... We could be very honest about that. I don't know how much pushback we'll honestly get either. I think most books fans would agree. The books would have a second all-star this year. It should be Drew Holiday. So if then, like, we could get into debate too. Some of the guards who've been picked ahead of him, I mean, I think it's a nonsense. Like, Lamella Ball, I really like. He's really good. He's perfect for all-star games. But then maybe we get into what is all-star game. Because even Trey Young, who obviously has much more inflated scoring numbers, but you look at what the Hawks are this year relative to what everyone would have expected them to be based on what they did in the playoffs last year. And it's like, are we really going to say he's having a great season? He's like, yeah, you're the guy. That's weird. When Not you've just got that, a, he's a start. I mean, it's he's kind a start, of taken yeah. out. That's taken then taken out of everyone's hands. hands but Yeah. That's where it gets, I don't know. It's this year more than others, in part because of the East just so it's like muddled like it is competitive but it, at the same time it doesn't make it easier that to like it's different when you have to go by conference whereas like when all nba teams roll around though you're throwing out that kind of um you know qualification so you can actually rank the 15 best players in the league and maybe drew holiday gets in that way I don't know. No, he doesn't. You don't think so? All all NBA? No. I mean, then he's got to be in the top six guards in the league. I, I don't believe that people will vote for him in that regard. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Like, um, I, I think that I think that's the part. Like, this conversation always comes back to. I think most people who really are watching games closely and care, they'll say, "So why do you care about All Star? Like, all NBA is what really decides this." The reality is 26 guys get to All-Star and we've now had three replacements. So we're at 29 guys who get yeah. this as the recognition as opposed to 15 guys for All-NBA. Like Drew is not getting in to All-NBA because he's not going to be scoring enough because that's not his role. So you're going to get pun- punished for Giannis being the best guy in your team in an All-NBA context. That's even why like last year, I think Chris was deserving um of of third team and i think he's certainly being around the fringes and he hasn't got in because it's just there's too few guys it's super tough and then you do get star names you just get locked there like don't think it's gonna happen this year but russell westbrook has found his way into a lot of all nba teams where you're like (laughs) really are we sure about this i i just think that's that's a problem now maybe the solution is do you add all nba teams do you go to a fourth team a fifth team that feels like it's diluting it then. But at the same time, I think there are enough players and enough standout players that you could have an all-NBA fifth team that looks really good where you're like, those guys are all deserving, as opposed to when we're getting to where we're at with All-Star, where, again, two incredibly talented and entertaining guys, but 
Trey Young and Lamelo Ball are that's sending out a completely different message as to what a like a star point guard is or even like because if we're if we go back if we have a repeat like of last year's finals and like drew is back there and he's making plays like that it's like that is the guy i remember i think was it hey the summa um before the draft yes uh, someone who's having a really nice rookie season and making a real impact and i remember watching his interviews and it's like what point guard? And he's like, it's Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday is the only guy I'm looking at. It's the only guy I care. You just watch him and you're like, that's how you be a top winning point guard in the NBA. I think that's true. Like, and it's also not everyone can be, for example, Chris Paul and, you know, have just the kind of inherent passing gifts that Chris Paul has had over the course of his career. But when you get to the NBA, you vote a lot of like starting caliber point guards. They'll have a lot of the tools that Drew will have but they can't put them together like he's been able to over his career and certainly has been able to with the books. So for that not getting recognized and not, like he'll, what he will get is an all defensive team again. Like that might be yeah. where he gets it year after year, but he's a guy who even predating his books time, like really good, really good kind of fringe, just outside all-star conversation year in, year out. And where this comes to matter is, He's already a champion. He's already an Olympic gold medalist. Like, who knows what he adds to that before his career is done. He could be a guy who's kind of a Hall of Fame deserving type of player, but he's not going to have anywhere near the resume, and that's going to come down to all-star appearances. And when you look into it, it's like, LaMelo Ball at this stage in his career on that Hornets team or Trey Young on this Hawks team, that's what stops Drew from getting that just you know, that notch on his belt, that year after year that adds up and will frame his entire legacy by the time his playing career is done. Like, all of that is so unfair, but we know that's how it works. And we know even from seeing multiple books figures, Marcus Johnson being one that stands out in recent years, and you're like kind of going over and over again on the line to get in. And it's interesting too, and we talk about Chris, like one thing I am happy for with Chris is Chris is getting closer. You know, yep. Chris's case is getting much, much stronger. And if he certainly becomes that legacy guy, a couple of years of that, and all of a sudden you're a five-time All-Star champion, a gold medalist, you know, you start to look at his overall resume and you're like, yeah, this this guy's in, particularly if the Bucks won another championship. And you're like, oh, he was he was like guy, uh, second option on a multiple-time champion. Like all of that stuff eventually matters. It's easy to just kind of blow by it now, but I... I I do feel for Drew because I think he's very clearly deserving. I agree. Um, meanwhile, Chris Milton has matched Ray Allen, Vin Baker, past Big Dog in terms of all-star appearances. Match Bob Dandridge. I mean, there could, only, there could only be Giannis, Kareem, Marcus, Sydney. Marcus, and and Sid. That's it, right? Yep. yep. Maybe that's fair. <laughs> I mean, when we look at all time, it's funny too. If you leaderboards, look at this... which I mean, I know is it's a hot button topic in your brain at the moment. You're locked in. You are, you know, you're competing with some other people on books, Twitter, turf, for you know milestones, <laughs> but. Chris is Chris is also really kind of 
climbing up those ranks to the point where it is only those guys ahead of him in a lot of categories and even so yeah. he's already taken over passively um if you look at his stat line this year compared to when he first got all-star it is eerily similar in a lot of ways especially efficiency wise um 519 effective field goal percentage in 2018-19, 519 effective field goal percentage in 2021-22, hitting 36 from three, 37 from three when he first got all-star, 44, like a little bit more scoring, a little bit more assist numbers. But this is the key. So what you're doing right now is the key. Is that how, is that how he was picked? People literally looked at a stat line. Because my response to this and with Middleton this season, every time you look at a stat line, are you like, oh, yeah, that's what I expected? Are you kind of a little bit surprised that he's playing as well as he is? Because it doesn't look like and it doesn't feel like it. Like maybe that's just the case of he more seamlessly kind of fits into a more supporting role and with another guy there now. So it does look different when you see him on the court. But it's kind of a like every time I look at his stats, I'm like, hmm. It's really it's better than it feels, and particularly because yeah, he's had he's had a lot of stinkers. I I wonder if you're to really dive in and look at the variance in his performance this year well, compared too, to, like, to other years too. I think there's a wider range, which like if you're watching games, that's gonna factor in. You're gonna be like, yeah, he's not as consistent as he has been at other times. Where there's years where Chris like would literally, you know, you could just start the game and be like 20 on the box score just mark it down he's going to do that every single night he's not like that this year he's had some up in the 30s and he has some down in single digits like at a, a much greater frequency than usual this season more than ever too is just hard to discern what is real and what isn't i mean the fact that he you know the bucks were playing with like as few guys as they were and that's before the wave of omicron came you know they just had so many injuries and all these absences and then they don't have Giannis for a period of time. They don't have Bobby. Like, so like you're asking more of Chris when he's in the lineup. He obviously himself was out of the lineup too because of having COVID. Like that's where it's just like, it's harder than ever to, to make of what. <laughs> it's like, oh, he's averaging 19, five and five. That's really good. That's really good for any player. And he is still like, I know it's not to the level of what he was shooting you know the last couple years efficiency wise but like it's still great um but it's just it's i don't know like he, he's going in as a forward too or really as a front court player yep like jared allen getting in when he did i think jared allen should have got in over chris to begin with like maybe oh, yeah. maybe then at that point you're like if chris goes in yeah okay whatever even though that's not how Adam Silver seems to be working about it. Or, you know, quote unquote, Adam Silver. Do you really think like Adam Silver is like, oh, there's an injury? Clear, clear my schedule. Like, oh, yes, I'm crunching film it. and I'm like just trawling through stats.nba.com for the next few hours. Kiki Vandaway's gone now. Isn't he? I was going to. Mark Tatum? Mark Tatum's still there. Be like, Mark, what's the login for our Synergy account? You know, is that what Adam. Adam Silver does. <laughs> he has a post-it note on his like PC where it's like synergy password. 
Yeah, I, I'm a little skeptical of that one. Like you're skeptical of the reporting on Gora Dragic, so just how much it's Adam Silver that, that picks replacements. But I don't know. Maybe he watches every game every single day. Maybe that's all he does. Takes meetings, watches games. Before we move on to the mailbag, um, it would be remiss of us, and it would also be kind of true to something that um, we have a habit of doing, Ty and Rohan have a habit of doing sometimes so much that it's a running joke, which is we just forget to talk about Giannis. Um, Giannis had 50 points last night against the Indiana Pacers. Um, you put out the tweet, was it the fourth fewest field goal attempts of all time that someone's had 50 points on? He went 17 yeah. to 21 from the field. I was watching this game live, very rare occurrence. I had no idea that Giannis was going to hit 50 until he kind of hit 50 because it did not feel like it. It was so easy. It's did you the recognize 50 it was 50 when he did the hand signal? <laughs> well, when I really started to think about it, I actually sent you a message at the time because I knew you weren't able to watch it. Uh, I was like, you were talking again about, you know, books all-time point. This is all Jordan talks about now. Um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, well... I think he could just be about to set a new career high here. Um, so he had his 50 and he was at the free throw line with two to tie his career high of 52. And in kind of, you know, signature out of fashion, he missed both free throws, missed them very badly, um, which on a night where up until that point, he was 14 of 16 for the line is disappointing. So ultimately he checked out right after that with 50 points. Um, but it is kind of representative of... I just think everything looks so easy for him where it's almost, it's easier for us to overlook than any previous year, just how good he is. He is not having to exert himself to do any of this stuff anymore. Like there's even, there's less in the spectacular kind of athletic plays because it does not feel like he is going at like 100%. I'm not saying that as in he's injured and he's managing something. I just don't think he, he has to be in fifth gear right now. He's kind of, he's right down kind of in the middle you know he's not he's not pushing it at all and that is kind of fascinating one and just seeing him make that adjustment because we know what his nature is his nature is to be at 100 all of the time um but also just the evolution in him as a player that he can do that and he's scoring 50 points just on a given night and he is now <clears throat> uh the nba scoring leader on the season Someone very smart and handsome predicted that at the beginning of the year and was was mocked, rarely mocked for it. I'll let you all to work out who that was. Um, but yeah, I, it's such a close MVP race and there's going to be the fatigue element with him. If he, if he does this or something like this a bit more often though and the books can click into gear and motor along to finish the season. I I don't see how he won't end up with it, though. Particularly as Embiid's life is about to get very, very different. Very. Um, that, I don't know. But, again, that if they... The, the, I think we've said this the last, like, what, six weeks? When the Bucks have kind of been like, oh, they're doing well. That it's like, oh, they're on their down... The downbeat, and then it's you know kind of up and down, further and further, all that stuff. The opening is there. The East, is, anyone can take the East. 
It's not like anyone's running away with it. Like the Bucks are, what are they, two games back of it? One and a half games back now? One and a half. Like they can still do it. And granted, they're playing one of the hardest schedules in the league, but a lot of that is inflated by, or yeah, inflated by the fact that the East is just how it is. Like they have a lot of their West road trips out of the way and have finished off those series. So it's a lot of like playing against the Heat, playing against the Bulls, especially playing against. I, I, do you think the, the East is being played down still, though, in terms of a wider kind of conversation point where I think it's being acknowledged that it is this massive jumble? But like if it's playing game didn't exist, if we were to talk old money here and we were be, like top eight teams or playoff teams, the Nets are the eight seed and they're three games above 500. Like that's just the kind of thing that hasn't happened in the East very often no. in the last 30 years. Um, and honestly, you know, doesn't necessarily always happen in the West. Like right now, the Clippers are in eight spot at 29 and 31 in the West. The Lakers yeah. are in ninth at five games below 500. If you're five games below 500 in the East, you're, you're in 12th place. That's, I mean, the Bucks made it to the playoffs. Was that 2013? They're like 37 and 40, what would it be? Five. 45, yeah. mm-hmm. which is awful. <laughs> um, there's been even worse. What was the what was the Pistons record when the Bucks were the first one seed in a couple of years ago? Were they 40 and 40? Maybe that was better than the Bucks that year. I think it might be better than the Bucks, but I do think it was below 500. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... Like, to, to be in sixth place, so clear of the playing game, the Boston Celtics are nine games above 500. That's going to go higher. Or they are, they're going to go higher, too. Yeah, and it's hard to say, like, the Sixers, 11 games, Cavs, 12 games, Bucks, 13 games. Like, you're going to be double digits all round for the top six in the East above yeah. 500, which is impressive. Like there, there's real quality. There's real depth there. It actually does feel like, particularly when you look at the profile of some of those teams, Cavs being a great example of it in particular, the course correction that the draft should naturally kind of bring about on that. Yep. But maybe so many of those East teams were just so incompetent for so long that they didn't even have the picks they were getting for being terrible it does feel like we're starting to see that kind of come around where it's, it's working out. Um, maybe not in entirely that way where you would draw it up, but the bull is another example. They're not entirely writing it off of, you know, what they've done with draft picks, but they use some picks and they've got some players in and it's all, it's all coming together and working out one way or another. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think the, the East overall is being probably still a little undersell, a little underplayed, but at the, at the same time, uh, to get back to Giannis, he doesn't care. They all look the same to him, Jordan. Exactly. We going to the mailbag? Let's do it. The first question from at S underscore McAnderson. What are your thoughts on the big lineup, Giannis plus Bobby plus Serge? And will we get the gigantic lineup at some point? Plus, blo- plus Brooke, even. <laughs> and plus Chris. Um, Stephen... I sincerely hope we get the gigantic lineup. This is 
Big ball. Am I going to get a job on the coaching staff? This might be the question here. I, as for Giannis, Bobby, and Serge, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I am, I am curious to see how a lot of this unfolds and how it unfolds with Bobby, particularly Serge as well. And he comes in and where they find Bobby's spots and how they work through that. Because like the elements of uncomfortable fit that were there from the beginning when they signed him, that people like me or specifically me um, were kind of droning on about for a while until it reached a point where Bobby was just really good at what he was doing and could cover over some of that, not all of that. I mean, the book certainly had to cover by taking him out of an important series altogether. Like, I, I think that still remains in that. And even maybe more and more so, like with a full season of watching Bobby basically be a starter, which is what we're getting close to at this point. My concerns have definitely not lessened. And I, th- I think it is interesting in imagining kind of long-term if you're keeping Bobby around long-term, which I think most people would like to, well, what are you imagining him ha- as? And then what are you paying him in relation to be what you're going to need? Like uh, the- It's almost flipped. Whereas like you have Brooke in this drop. I mean, we've also been proponents of like, oh, you can play Brooke in space. You can, yeah. can hold his own on an island. You can weaponize the size. Weaponize the size, exactly. Um, whereas like, okay, so you can't really play drop with Bobby. You can at least make it functional with, it gets shaky, but like you kind of have to have that compliment where you get a Serge Ibaka or a more traditional five in that sense that can kind of give you some, a different dimension that Bobby obviously doesn't bring. Yeah, I mean, I have some more thoughts on that that will fit naturally into the next question, so I'll save some for that. Um, I, I, as always, at this kind of time of year, and this is something certainly that Bud likes to do, but I am, I'm curious to see, and it would be nice to get some guys back. That's the, the one thing that will hold them back on this at the moment is the fact that, well, Pat's out for a month. We still don't know exactly when Brooke is going to be back and George Hill is a couple of weeks away. If you had everyone healthy, you really get into something more experimental and you tend to see Bud go with some weird combinations this time of the year, which always feels like it is in search of, well, let's look at this and see, is there anything here? Is there anything here that we just kind of store in the back of our mind, keep in our back pocket that could be used on the postseason? Injuries might rob them from doing some of those things they're interested in. But look, if they if they want to go to like Giannis, Bobby and Serge quite a bit, I will not be complaining. Will it be good? Um TBD. Well, I, I'm not exactly overflowing with confidence on that, but will it be entertaining? Is is basketball just better when it's just giant, giant men on the yes. floor? 100%. This is what the people want. This year, the, especially has taught us, it, it helps having big guys. It's a big man's it's not, league. All, it's not all smalls. Jordan, I'm 5'11". I can only assume this is the only reason why I'm not in the NBA. Probably. You know, if I was, if I was seven two, I I guess I'm there. You know, it's a big guy's league. <laughs> you at least give it a look, maybe a ten day. Yeah. Hey, a lot of guys have got some deals this season. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there was there were certainly some COVID waves there where my phone would have been ringing anyway. 
from at Julie underscore Khan. One, what are your thoughts on the book's defense or lack thereof as of late? Two, who would you rather see more of right now, Wigginton or Wara? For part one, to circle back to some of the conversation on the last part, the defense has been bad all season. Like, uh, I say that in a relative sense, relative to what Book's defense looks yeah, like. the standard that they set. Um, they are very much middle of the pack, and that is in spite of having two of the five best defensive players in the league on the floor most of the time. I, I genuinely, I put that down to Bobby, and it's not like to blame that on Bobby, but I just think that's what happens with your system. None of it runs as fluidly. We have for years kind of just hammered home that Brooke is the anchor of this defense. Brooke is the thing that makes all of this work. Tissue. 100%. You like Giannis can obviously be described as the best defender, but I know um, going back to both of our writing days, I think across separate seasons, we've probably both made like the case for Brooke to be in defensive player of the year. Um, if not to win it, to be like a top three guy. And he gets overlooked for Giannis, where really what he's doing is just as important. And those two, the way they fed off each other, has been crucial to building what the, the Budenholzer books have been. So uh, to me, that is just still an issue. It's going to be interesting to see if they can even shore some of that up with Surge, but that is going to be tied again to a, what position is Bobby playing? Who is he playing his minutes with? And also, they're gonna. I'm gonna be curious to see what looks they give Surge. Like, are we gonna see them really vary their coverage with Surge out there so that maybe he's better prepared for something that they're not playing right now, but could be towards the playoffs, which you know is drop. The, the flip side of this is that just all year, um, and even through some of their best defensive performances, the Bucks have been unbelievably aggressive. One of the most aggressive teams in the NBA. The most aggressive they've been since Jason Kidd's first, second year, uh, certainly closer to the success of the first year than to the results of the second year. Um, although, like, if we're honest, again, somewhere in the middle. But that is reflective, again, of the personnel decisions they've had to make and how they've had to kind of tilt the defense in a slightly different way with Bobby being, like, just a mainstay of this team, not just a guy who, yeah, he's going to log 20 minutes off the bench, but being someone who is like a guaranteed starter for the course mm-hmm. of the season. So that, that feeds into a lot of the concerns I've always had with that. And I, I think it's an interesting conversation coming up to free agency and Bobby hitting the market again, that we're all going to have to talk about. And with Brooke getting a year older and with everyone having seen what happens, like, and just how crucial it is when he's missing. Like, I, I do think the books have got to work out a long-term plan better, better than they seem to have right now. It's, it's the position that is most concerning for the longevity of this team as, as a top contender. Um, But we'll see, we'll see what impact surge can have on that. And we'll also, I guess, see when Brooke is back, like maybe that will be relatively soon and we can see some more varied books defense too. That'd be great. Um, As for who would I rather see more of right now, Wigginton or Wara? This is like Poison Chalice A, Poison Chalice B. Like, I, I probably still lean Wara. I think Wara is more talented. Uh, Wigginton, Wigginton to, it, to me, 
he's very very limited and I, I this didn't make sense to me at the start doesn't really make sense to me now all props to him he is shooting the ball very very yeah. well not at a high volume More but he's shooting any other really well Bucks, so like two-way player has done ever. I, I actually think more than any books player like in He's obviously dealing with a tiny, tiny sample size, but he is the three-point percentage leader on the books roster for the season. There we go. Um, I'm not sold on that as being the realest thing in the world. I don't think we've necessarily got a Steve Sir on our hands here. Um, that's a deep cut. I don't even know if Jordan remembers that one. I definitely remember Steve But, <laughs> but um. I mean, War War has big problems, and War's problems are he just defensively he can't stay on the floor, and then I don't know if his his offensive gifts seamlessly fit into like uh, being part of a team, <laughs> being part of a cohesive like group, um, particularly in a second unit sense. But I, I we have seen like, and we've seen in significant settings that Jordan War can deliver. Like he's a better player. He's a better overall player. I don't think it will matter really long term because he's not going to be a book, I would imagine, from um, this summer onwards. Well, if he is, it's a rough look for him. But he's had a bad season, so it's possible. Um, I I would still, I would rather Wara. But, like, it's just one of those questions that it doesn't matter because there's not a good answer there. And no, thankfully, it's not. Are, it's not a discussion we're going to be having as we get it, really into the stretch and into the playoffs. That's exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. We're talking about Jordan War, Window Wigginton. That is more of an indictment on what's gone wrong for the Bucks this year than any of those players. From at Orcati Junior, longtime listener, first time caller. First off, that's a lie. <laughs> He's now called a lot of times. I, I can't speak to him often he listens, but he calls regularly. Is it safe to say that Serge is satiating Adam's desire for big guys so far? Somewhat. Somewhat. I mean, Serge is not like... He's not a prototypical center. He's a center now. He is a center now at this point in his yeah. career. He has been a power forward and like he is a very skilled, like an interesting rim protecting power forward. At this point in his career, he's a center. He has got legitimate size, so that works. And relative to what the books had before and may otherwise have had, yes, for sure. Like seeing him he out there. He was a center when the Raptors won the championship. No, it was Marcus like, All. Yeah, he, they were playing out. I mean, that also is... And, like, that's... When we're talking centers, like, that's a center. That's a... That's... I believe we have, a like, an Apple Podcast review, which is a quote of something I said about Marcus All. But I would... You know, that's... We didn't even guy, talk about that. That's a guy... That's true. It's a guy I always liked. It's reportedly someone the books reached out to um, to see if he had any interest in coming back and playing in the NBA, to which the answer seems like, no, he's done. He's obviously moved his life back to his his homeland of Spain and he's just happy to be there and get on with the next phase of his life and his career in basketball. So fair enough, but that would be like in an ideal world, that's the kind of, that's the kind of big guy I'm looking for on the team, but Serge is, Serge is good. Um, and I don't think it hurts the books in a lot of ways. I think Serge is actually the perfect compromise 
from like a an old school purist like me, Jordan, and these people who like their their bigs to be just a little bit uh little bit switchier, a little bit smaller, a little bit more skilled. I think Surge is kind of right in the sweet spot between those two. Glad you agree. From at sign underscore Justin, what are your thoughts on Boston's hot stretch? And are there any easy first round matchups in the East this year? No. I think the, Bro- the Brooklyn Nets it could be pretty easy. If they make it out of the plan, though. Like, I don't I'm, think they I'm, will. I'm joking, but I'm also not joking because they've got a lot of stuff to work out. It's there. all on KD. It's all on KD, which is also... It was already the case, but it's even more so. <laughs> it really is. When's, um, how many years did KD sign for? So he got one he year ex- after this one? Did he extend, though? I felt like it was a three-year deal. I don't know to the extent. Um... Like if he didn't, if his contract is up after next season, yeah, he signed a four-year, one hundred ninety-eight million dollar extension. It's a uh, tough look for him. No-brainer at the time, but uh, I don't know if how he'll feel about that. Well, saying that, his team could be different this summer. You know, one of one of his uh, his teammates could decide to go elsewhere. I mean, right now the Hawks could get out. Like they're they're tenth. I would certainly have no fear about playing the Hawks. Hornets have caused the books problems, but I think you get the Hornets in the it's first time of a playoff series. Defend, and they got Montrezl Harrell, who is a Bucks killer too. He's always done really well. I'm also, and this has been a, a long time failing of mine, and I may come back to regret it. Um, the Raptors are awkward, but that's it for me. I think if the books are healthy and engaged, like they so, would be good playoff time. I, I don't think that's a concern. I think they're also, I mean, they have, they're like, Siakam's really turned on a gear from what I've seen. Fred Van Vliet, all-star material. Love Don't get me started. Um, but I do think that kind of, I mean, Scotty Barnes has been, mm-hmm. uh, he's neck and neck with Mobley for rookie of the year. Like, there is pieces there that are going to trouble the Bucks if they match up against each other in the first round or however it shakes out. But I do think there's ways that it can be um, schemed out. I also, I with the know. Celtics, like to go to the question, and if the playoffs were to that. start today, there would be book Celtics. Um, they've made some nice moves. I thought they had an interesting deadline. We've seen Book Celtics before with the most important players on that Boston team. Like, I'm not I'm not afraid of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I'm more so afraid of Jalen Brown than Tatum. But that's a long standing view you've held, which Honestly, he's, I don't. I don't dispute more, that, but I, I don't. More, I'm, I don't fear. I don't fear like them as a twosome. Even like, I'm not saying like. I think the the general thing is here. Like, there is a case to be made for kind of every team that's in the mix right now, yes. where it's like they could do this, which could cause you a problem. But from a book's perspective, 
I'm like, okay, if the books are healthy, locked in, serious, and they're delivering, let's say even 70% of like what they are, I don't see a team that will trouble them in the first round. Depending where they fall, there may not be a team that will trouble them in the second round. Like I, with the way the roster is shaping up too, if the book team are healthy and Brooke can look like Brooke, I will be supremely confident in the books going into the postseason. I know how dangerous that is, but I I do really like the way the roster is coming together and the way the East looks. It may it may lead to some tougher series on paper earlier than we would like, but I, I don't necessarily know if that's a problem. And I mean, after all, let's remember what the books had to do to get to where they did last season, like, which is your playing the nets in the second round was a nightmare scenario playing that version of the nets. And they got through. They, I don't know if you know, Jordan, they just about got through. If Kevin Durant's shoe size was just, you know, but they did get through. And that's Those 16 games that that big three was together. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. I just think, I think the books are kind of maybe not head and shoulders, but they're ahead above the rest in the East. When it comes down to it, when the playoffs start, that's my current view on it. I could be proven horribly wrong because there are good competitive teams. And if the books just, don't click, don't get it together at the right time, say like what we saw in the bubble. Yeah, there's real potential for it to go wrong this year because there are more teams that are capable than maybe ever before. Yeah, as to my feelings about Boston, I am scared the hell out of by them. I thought Derek White was the perfect. Scared the hell out of Boston. This is oh, not yeah. something I ever expected to come I know, it's quite the reversal. But I do think I think that was exactly what they needed. Robert Williams is kind of emerged as what's what... their answer for Giannis? Robert Williams? You think Robert Williams is gonna? I don't think he's an answer. I think he's one of the better options out there in non-superstar territory. I also think it's it's a case of. Which is always when we do this, you naturally fall into the the fear side of it. I'm not even specifically talking about you, even though it definitely applies to you, where you're like, what can the other team do to the books? But if we're talking about a team that's built around Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, the books are better equipped to defend them than basically any other team. Like the version oh, of that, the Celtics that, that, that has been rolling through teams, I don't think the books, even not at their best, would allow the Celtics to be that version of themselves. Like I think that's a that's a key thing here. It's even if they could bother the books a bit more than some other teams, I think the books could really hinder like what has been their identity and what seems to be like the core principles of their team. Even someone like Derek White, who I like a lot. It's like if you put in players like that, it's like the books have options there. You know, they they have different players that can fill those roles. Maybe one fewer with Dante gone. Um, but it's it's not something that is really a concern for me. I, I think the books do have answers that would make life really difficult for a team like that. Honestly, the team that I, this is a cliche for me, but the team that I think is the weirdest potential fit for the books, and it's going to be tied into obviously how Brooke is and everything else works out, 
the Cavs scare me a little bit because that's where I'm coming to with the Celtics though too is that they with White like a couple years when the Bucks played against the Celtics to go to the Eastern Conference Finals they had Kemba or no not it wasn't Kemba it was Kyrie what do I talk about like they have more size at the guard position they're just kind of big and lengthy like in ways that like yeah they don't have like like Tatum is their four in their starting lineup that's not what you would think of as a four regardless of you know Tatum be as good as he is but like I don't know I I think like that and Cleveland just being as big as they are like the Bucks are like teams are coming at the Bucks and the top of the east with more size than we've seen since the Bucks have gotten really good for sure that's everyone has deals their roster for that and that's sensible like yeah it, it's I clear it's horse was talking about that too the other day where he's like yeah there were we play as but teams try to go smaller to kind of like counteract the Bucks playing as big as they were with Brooke or wherever the case may be but like it's more traditional in terms of how it is this year than any other year before the books have been a massive team for quite some time but they had bigger players who could generally play smaller in a skill sense it's something we talked about for a lot of the time and last year was a real case of like just it seemed like that clicked where they realized oh we can just like put most of these teams in the basket you know it's like it's tough to find matchups where eventually like we don't have a mismatch somewhere where we're going to have the size advantage and we can get something out of that teams are working towards that i just i think one the guys in that Celtics team have been burned before. Like, and they've been burned before by the books, key players. I just, like, someone like the Cavs, they could have, like, a fearlessness, and they certainly have throughout this season, but they could bring some of, say, the energy the Hawks brought to the playoffs last year, but be a much better team in doing so. That's, now, they could also fall flat on their face. Like, it's it's entirely possible they get to the playoffs and things are different the pace changes up a little bit. Teams are locked in, and the intensity is something new for them. And, and they just like, don't have experience. We're not like, ready. At least yeah, like, exactly. Like Kevin Love, Jared Allen was in what one playoff series with the Nets. But is like, I know they got to the. Did they get to the finals in the fake year? Conference finals, the Celtics. Yes. I, I know they have that experience, but. Well, they also went. In LeBron's last year in Cleveland, that was Brown and Tatum were there. And Smart. Smart's the other guy, too, has been around. I, I just, I don't, I think there's as much, like, scar tissue for the Celtics there to, they may be a little bit more resilient than, say, when they were a Kyrie Irving team. But I think you land the first punch in the Boston Celtics, they could fall apart. And even there's something to that this season. I mean, they're right back in this conversation. And like you're saying, they're scary to you. Like, that's built on a really hot run. Like, we take this 9-1 run out of it, and you look at their overall season. Maybe it's a case that they're figuring stuff out, and Yudoka's finally at a point, and it's all just kind of coming together at the right time. I think they have the best defense in the league since January 1st. Yeah, I think that's right. was also during... COVID. But my, my thing with them against the books is I, I would just have a hard time seeing them outscoring the books because I think just overall it would net out that like the books defense is going to be good enough to, if not exactly match what the Celtics defense is doing to come close, 
And then I just think the books will have more offensive tools than they will have, particularly with the way the roster is shaping up with depth. Like, I, I, that's, that's where I'm at with that, is I just would struggle, even though they could be very good on both ends if they put their best series together. I don't know if they have enough to get past the books. Uh, playoffs should be like really, oh, really interesting. It should be fun. This like is... every single matchup in the East from the first round uh, should have the potential for an upset. Or certainly, like maybe some teams less than others. But like if you're in the books, you go in and you lose game one, which is something the books in the past have had a history of doing. Um, I wouldn't advise that this time around. I don't know if that would be the smartest, the smartest move on their part, or really any kind of higher seed or more highly thought of team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, from at David Dunn 21, did you ever see Spider-Man No Way Home? I heard it was pretty good. This is a question for me, Jordan. Um, Mr. Mister Dunn made an appearance on my other podcast, Captured in Celluloid, my movie podcast. If you aren't listening, go and subscribe. Um, a couple of weeks ago now, we had a two and a half hour conversation on all things Marvel all things Spider-Man. It's also something we generally do over there is talk Marvel. So we really went in and went all for it. And uh, there were some issues with the recording of the audio and we did not have the track. So that episode has been lost to the eater. So if you want to imagine what that was like, it was good. I can give you that. Um, but yeah. Sorry about that. Go subscribe to Captured in Celluloid. Um, <laughs> we don't have a Spider-Man podcast, but we will have a Hamaguchi podcast coming up next, which is just just the kind of swing from one extreme to the other that we specialize <laughs> over there so anyone check it out drive my car wheel of fortune of fantasy go subscribe and uh yeah you'll have a podcast the next few days i don't know if there's much crossover there with the winning six audience to be honest jordan we'll, we'll, we'll find out <laughs> from a sean t cronin how the hell am i supposed to root for goran dragic listen if he puts on that books jersey he's a good player um, I would find it easier to root for him generally than some others like I think he's had his run-ins on the court with books players over the year and certainly he's factored in on rival teams but um, unless there's something I'm not aware of I don't think there's any kind of larger reasons to be like you know, yeah, I don't I mean, want to root for this guy I, I just the, I think he's a good player who could help you with another championship. And that to replace, me would be the reason I'd root for him. We can replace Goran Dragic's name with Grayson Allen. Like that, that's how some people viewed him in the PJ Tucker, Bobby Portis. These are guys that if they're on other teams that you're coming up against in the playoffs regularly, you're not gonna like them. <laughs> like no. they're actually the guys that it's the most fun to have on your team when the playoffs yeah. come around. Oh yeah, exactly. Because that's where legends are made. Um <laughs> No, yeah, I, I I just said that no, yeah. Um, the Bud Staple. He's not what um, his staples, yeah, no, is not. That is true. I reversed it. Reverse, reverse. Um, yeah, I'm not. I, first of all, he, he's not a buck yet. Maybe he won't be. I don't know. The people are saying he's, he's basically a book, Jordan. Yeah, that's what they said about him going to the Dallas, too, right? Uh, very briefly, very briefly. And, uh, you know, Jason Kidd had other ideas. From at downtown underscore Brown, barring injuries, does Wes crack the playoff rotation? Might be hard with the five starters, including Brooke. 
Pat, Bobby Hill, and Ibaka all ahead of Matthews, plus any other buyout guys factoring into the mix like Bembry and potentially Dragic. Yeah, I think he's in the rotation. It'll just be a question of what kind of role and what his assignments will be. I think he is going to be a, a minimum a defensive specialist they call upon to take yep. on some of the tougher assignments for a few minutes at a time. That might be all he's asked to do. You might see him for 15 minutes max a game, but they could be 15 important minutes on like a superstar player. Yeah. They're... Like actually over Bobby, like when I see Bobby's name yes. there again, we're going to, there, there may be There's moments be where if Brooke is healthy and they don't have to do that, where they'll be like, this is not the time for Bobby. That's the kind of player you could slot in. It's like, you'll see West, you'll see Pat, you'll see George Hill, those players filling in some of those minutes just because they're more easily trusted in the defensive sense. Yeah. There's always going to be a need for a wing defender. And yeah, if he's not shooting well, that kind of sucks. But look at what happened with PJ during the series last year. We don't have to look that far. You know, if you're trusted out there for your defense or like, that's it. That's the Bucks calling card. It's their evening out factor. Or yeah, like they can have a bad shooting night if their defense is playing as well as they have been historically. It might not matter. Um. Yeah, he's gonna have a role. It's it could be ten minutes one game. It could be twenty five. It could be way more during a series where, yeah. What if they play against the Celtics in the first round? And they he, they need someone to go on Jason Tatum. They need someone to go on Jalen Brown. It's not gonna be just Drew Holiday all the time, or you know, Giannis or Chris or whatever the case may be. You need that guy to kind of eat up innings or you know minutes, I should say. No, I like innings too. Uh, you're I speaking know. my language. <laughs> We need to get this lockout sorted out, Jordan, so we can have a Brewers pod soon. Oh. <laughs> I'll telegram Rob Manfred. Do if you've got if you've got the power. I'm sure Telegram is how you know MLB yeah. still do their business. So Clearly. um the other the other thing too is like that's let's say Bembry comes in and is quite successful in the kind of role we were talking about earlier and imagining. Like it's entirely plausible that minutes just like almost in a constant rotation where if you're not getting to 48, you're getting to 40 or split between say Wes, Bembry, Pat, where it's like taking turns just on guys. And this could ultimately be the biggest advantage the books have outside of just, you know, maybe having the best player in the league is that they may be able to go deeper in the playoffs this year in a way that is real. That very rarely happens. And you could have shorter spurts where you're having guys who on the opposing team, their legs are getting heavy. They're feeling the toll of it. And the books may be able to cycle through some kind of specialist defenders or just kind of generally versatile guys who will add a lot to the team. Like that's, it's an interesting wrinkle that's developing with the book second unit options. Yeah. From at James Ontario 12, who's better right now? Lindell or the rest of the books bench excluding Quora. Um, the rest of the books bench now includes Sergi Baca, so I'm gonna go with Sergi Baca is better than Lindell. Yeah. Uh, from at Jules ask the books will be favored against anyone, but assuming we get a top two seed in the East, what team besides Brooklyn is our worst possible matchup as the seventh or eighth seed? Um, I think Boston would be the answer for you, although it does seem like Boston are probably just now powering on to a point where they're gonna be a lock for top six. Um, I'll go Toronto 
I'll, I think Toronto will be the next worst, particularly of the current playing teams, just because, yeah, there are some guys who've been there and done it before. There is a level of experience. There's some youth and exuberance. And as a team and as a coach, uh, Nick Nurse has had some success in figuring out some book stuff. So I, as much as the Hornets like seem to have the books number in the regular season, I still maybe, maybe misguidedly feel like that would be an absolute non-contest in a postseason series and the books could just steamroll through them. I, yeah. Um, Boston's kind of who I'm looking at. I think I, I just feel like that's like, but they're they're not going to be. The question's a seven or eight. Oh, seven or eight. So you're yeah. So outside of the Nets, if the books finish a top two seed, you're so confident the Celtics. I'm assuming you don't have them dropping back into the playing game. Um. Toronto for reasons that we talked about. Charlotte, I kind of lean towards yours, but they, there's just something there that just kind of. What about the mutiny? The what? The mutiny. There's been, there's been some tough times uh, internally with the Hornets recently. That's true, and they're adding Montrez Harrell, who's known to be a no peacekeeper, healed locker room guy. The Wizards had him for a couple months, and they were like, "Oh yeah, you're kind of turning our locker room inside out, and we're gonna trade you off." Um, yeah, that's going to be an interesting dynamic there. Like, I, just... I, the, the end of the season for them is going to be, it's going to be interesting to watch. I, I think they have the makings of, like, a really good team. I was also confused with the PJ Washington kind of in the shop window. I don't, I don't get that. I think <laughs> keep what you've got there, and you've got some really good young players who kind of, to me, seem to project to getting better and better and if you keep them together and they grow as a team you could have something very formidable like they could in theory next year look like the Cavs look this year take that kind of leap I would say if they just all keep it together there but it's certainly they need a little bit more they need defense that team is just so bad they they need a they need to go and I don't know what their cap situation is like but they need to go and pay a vet big money who's a steady voice and is like a defensive specialist like pj tucker tad young types those well, kind of like a guys center, like harold's not going to solve that problem either no i mean uh, that's a i i thought that was a nice pickup for them just again very much in the books getting a bucket it's like what are your options at this point of a season i what? think that's better than alternatives and also um, what they gave up the, the yak reporting that was out there and what they were going to give up for him was insane like completely i'm assuming maybe that was not coming from the hornets and i've seen as they didn't actually pay that price but if they had have done that that would have been wild so i i actually like that pickup for them just in terms of making the most of what you can at that point of the year but yeah long term it's not a solution i think a couple of experienced defensive minded heads and that team becomes very serious um, much much like I guess the Cavs got like before his injury, like Ricky Rubio's influence in Cleveland, that kind of thing. Even yeah. it's just that they look like a team who needs some of that kind of guy. All right, Jordan, that's it. That's all. That's all we've got. Um, I think it was a good episode. Do you think this was a good episode? I think it was. We we touched on a lot. 
I hope the people also think it was a good episode. It's so good, in fact, that they will subscribe to us wherever they get their podcasts. They will go over to gspn.substack.com and subscribe there also to make sure they never miss any content from the Eurostep Podcast Network. Uh, that includes, you know, Restless Fingers Tresky over here who just cannot stop writing. You know, he's he loves to write. Uh, I'm retired. Jordan is not. He loves to write. Um, yeah, get all of that Substack podcast feeds of choice. And follow us on Twitter at winning numerical value six podcast. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.